This is Father Gregory Pine. And this is Father Patrick Briscoe. And welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support the podcast. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. <laughs> you know, it's a good episode when you start off with a serious case of the giggles, uh, but I feel like it was provoked, or I feel like I can uh, beg off on account of the fact that Father Patrick was just singing and dancing. Um, dancing modestly, of course, as he is known to do. But Father Patrick, what moved you uh, to such a jingle, which was cut off, from which our viewers and listeners were deprived? <laughs> <laughs> well, there are some things that just stay with you for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, I had just referenced to you the great Nickelodeon television show, Rugrats. Mm -hmm. I think we could have an episode on the Catholic names of the very... <laughs> Of the various Rugrats, right? Like Tommy, you right. know, the protagonist. Right. Angelica. Right. You know, there's, there's, there's something deep going on in there. Right. So maybe it's just the fact that when we get in studio, it becomes a place of random associations, which fuels either creative output or near lunacy. <laughs> so it seems like this is the move. And whether or not it's good or bad, we've suspended those judgments. We've just let it flow. That's right. It's all it's all just coming to our God's planning listeners in it full is. force. Yeah. So as as you have come to uh, enjoy at this point, or maybe regret. Oh no, I think I hope enjoy. Um, we've started doing in studio recording because we find that the vibe is better, as the youth say. Uh, but on account of the fact that I live on a different continent, walled in by mountains, you know, ranging from three thousand to four thousand to whatever meters tall. Uh, we've we've bunched these, and it leads to great content, great flow, but also yeah, some some hilarity. So thank you for that, my sincere thanks. Uh, but in this episode, we're going to talk about uh, detective fiction. The reason for which is we read it, and it merits comment. But also because I think the people who do read detective fiction will often speak about it like a kind of indulgence, or they'll speak about it as like second tier, and then maybe something about which they're embarrassed. Uh, embarrassed. So, Father Patrick, what's your experience of detective fiction? What have you read? And uh, what are your faves? Well, I think detective novels, you know, hit us all in an early age, right? Like, there are those great series that many have read. Uh, I know my little cousins were into Magic Treehouse. That mm. was, you know, I would say that's detective fiction, right? Boxcar Children, detective fiction. I love the Hardy Boys. Mm. Manful detective fiction, yeah, exactly. you know, as, exactly. as a young man, anyway. So, I, so I think there's something about there's something about detective fiction as a genre and mystery solving that captures even young minds. Yeah. So I think you know, as you're beginning to read, there are so many of these series for children that are based in solving mysteries. Yeah. Yeah. I also read the Hardy Boys. That was what fifth grade, Mister O. Waters class. Mm. Uh, and I think it's the first 54, the first 58 were written by the same author. It turns out Frank and W. Dixon is a pen name. Who'd have thunk? Um, yeah, and maybe it's the same person as Carolyn Keene who wrote the Nancy Drew novels. Um, <laughs> can't rule it out. Uh, find, replace, take Frank and Joe and replace with... Never mind. Um, so it was a different author, though, with the 50, 59th one and beyond because people started dying, and I, I noted that fact, and it made me uncomfortable. I was like, where's Chet and his jalopy? Um, but for me, detective fiction really came to play later. I would say later in life, but that would seem to suggest that I have a point of my life which can be referred to as later in life. But on account of the fact that I look like I'm 12, 
can't do those things. I think, yeah, I think we're still in the early Gregory Pine. You know, <laughs> someday when scholars are revealing your life's opus, you know, this will still be the phase of early Pine. Yeah, exactly. Cut short, tragically. Wow, did he just know? Okay. Um, please by martyrdom, not by exhaustion. I'll take the latter. Never mind. Um, so, uh, so the Father Brown stories by G.K. Chesterton. I, so I thought, as we were coming into this episode, I thought what I should really do is cold open and just say. I loved everything G.K. Chesterton has ever written, especially the Father Brown. So do you remember when we were novices and you read aloud the Father Brown mysteries in a van as we were driving home from Kentucky? I've forgotten about that. But I remember what we had them, when we had them as uh, table reading, uh, which was great, except that Father Bonaventure kept looking over at me because I may have been a partial inspiration. He was like, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was not his favorite thing that we read in the refectory, I would no. say. Yeah. But he's got an anti-Chesterton bias. It makes for good dialectical literature episodes. Um, and then I got into Dorothy Sayers, the Lord Peter Whimsey novels, mm -hmm. which are hilarious. But she only wrote like nine of them. So then I transitioned into Agatha Christie, which I now listen to while hiking. Nice. Uh, they are kind of, well, formulaic, but I haven't grown weary of them. And I'm also a completionist, so I only have like 19 left. <laughs> <laughs> so as I'm listening to them, I'm conscious of the fact that I'm not listening to like Anna Karenina or I'm not listening to even David Copperfield. This is of a lesser sort. So do I feel embarrassed about that? Not really, because I'm not looking to reach for the stars as Buzz Lightyear would encourage us to do in this particular setting. So like what are the types of things that we can get out of detective fictions like or detective fiction novels? What are your favorite themes or things in those things that you prize? Yeah, I would mount a defense for them. You know, I, t I too enjoy Agatha Christie. And, you know, I think there are, some, there are some people that would say this isn't worth the time, you know, for the reasons that you articulated, right? That we should be pursuing instead great literature and that, and that all the time we should be pursuing the highest novels. And I, for one, that's just not actually possible. Mm. Because as you're getting ready to go to bed, if you pick up Dostoevsky every night, you're just not going to get that far <laughs> into it. Um, maybe, maybe other people are better nighttime readers than I am, but but at the end of the day, you, I find that I simply can't, you know, continue to plow through really great literary masterpieces like that. You need, I find that I need something a little bit calmer, a little bit easier, a little bit more lowbrow. Um, so I would say, right, right out of the gate, from what we need in life, we should not be shy about defending detective stories. That we just need an easy story, um, sometimes to help us get to rest, which is how I use these novels, you know, at the end of the day. Um, but I think, too, because detective fiction, you know, if I were mounting a defense of it, as I am doing right now in this moment, <laughs> I think that defective, detective fiction speaks to some fundamental aspects of the human condition. So I think there's part of us that, um, not, not just curiosity, but part of us fundamentally as human beings that want to explore mystery. You talked about yourself, Father Gregory, as being a completionist, but but I think that there's something in human nature that speaks to uh, our interest, our desire to to solve things, and for that reason, de detective stories, detective mysteries, are immensely satisfying. Hmm. That is true, because while the nihilistic death text may be satisfying insofar as it cleanses the palate, I think a lot of us want a happy ending, and I don't think that it's weakness to want a happy ending, or it's not just like the American inability to sympathize with Scandinavian art. I think it's just that <laughs> we're, we're wired that way, right? We're broken open to the infinitely true and the infinitely good, and we're not going to rest until such time as we find something worth resting in. And I think that we want 
a redemption story. We want things to come out right in the end. We want justice to be served. We want mercy to be visited upon those who may or may not merit it, dot, dot, dot. And I think that the detective story captures a lot of those elements. I'm thinking, too, about the fact that, um, like, detective stories, uh, they take place within a particular frame. Mm. I mean, I think that's true of film and literature more broadly, but it's a very narrow plot. And I think that um, it's helpful for us to envision our lives within the setting of God's providence, right? Things might seem to depart, but they always return, or things might seem to be trivial, but they always signify. And I think that when we envision our own lives uh, in the light of God's providence, we want to cultivate a similar sensibility, not insofar as like we're just terrified until such time as the vindictive God visits punishment upon us on account of the fact that blah, blah, blah. Uh, but in the sense that we want to know that it all matters and we want to attend to it as if it mattered, because otherwise there's a kind of sneaky fear lurking around the corner that who cares whether I eat a fistful of Sour Patch Kids and take a 45 minute nap or whether I have a shot of espresso and make a little visit to the Blessed Sacraments. Like, what does it really matter? It's like, well, it does. You know, that's not to say that we have to optimize and maximize at every turn as if we were good doing robots. Right. There's some play here, some free play for for prudence and its various manifestations uh, and communications. Wait a second, was I mentioning prudence? That's never happened huh. before. Yeah, but but I think that, um, yeah, detective fiction also gives you that sense. You were talking when we were preparing for the episode about the way in which the detective pays attention and how that maybe trains our eyes and hearts. Thoughts? I would like to say some things about that. I was as hoping you, you would. <laughs> as you mentioned. Oh. No, I, so I think that one of the things that um, can be difficult in the Christian life is that we can we are constantly susceptible to the temptation that God is not working here and now, mm-hmm. that God is absent, and we end to, we end up sounding like the psalmist during the Babylonian exile. And that is not the case. Mm-hmm. And that the detective, whose eyes and ears are open to the signs of the mystery, he's always looking for clues, can be inspiring for Christian life in that way, right? So, so as we learn uh, to be question askers mm-hmm. as we learn to be seekers detectives can actually help sharpen our mind that way i think that's what's so delightful about father brown for example um that's what's delightful about sherlock holmes and i think that's one of the reasons why those stories endure despite the trappings of them being more removed right like like the father brown series can be a little bit clunky um given its historical context same with sir arthur Conan doyle's work um but the holmes character and father brown are both eminently relatable. Uh, well, like we delight in them. You know, you, you, mm. you think detective story and you think of Sherlock Holmes. You think of his pipe, you think of his hat, and that's just what the novel means. Um, and I think that's partly because the lasting impression that, uh, that the author has given us of this character, but I think even more importantly, it's because of the character's virtues, particularly the kind of restlessness that I think every Christian should have. That we should be asking again the great questions, and our that our eyes and our hearts should be open to, um, to inquiry and to pursuing inquiry. And so that's why I think even at the end of the day, reading a detective novel is infinitely better than watching television, mm-hmm. <laughs> because because reading the detective story is active, and it's not passive the way that television entertainment is. Um, and I think that's probably true of listening to a true crime podcast. Do I want to say that? I think I do. Yeah. I want to say it's uh, reading a detective novel is better than that as well, uh, for the same principle that it's that that the kind of reading is active and that it's part of this training uh, for for question asking for seeking. Yeah, I want to think more about the virtues of the detective 
become virtues of the reader. Mm. Uh, so there are a couple of moments in these different novels or short stories that stand out to me. A couple of Father Brown ones. One is there's one Father Brown story in which the criminal or the malefactor is a postman. And the reason that no one picks up on the fact is because they're accustomed to see him visit the house every day at the same time. And so when on one occasion he enters the house and murders an individual and leaves by the same door, they're like, ah, yeah. But they don't even notice him, right? Because they've seen him so regularly that they've accustomed themselves as to like seeing him as if he were part of the background rather than part of the foreground. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, the eye of Father Brown, the eye of a confessor, right? The eye of a priest, the eye of a Christian is an eye trained to see everyone in the sense that like, you know, sometimes you walk through busy cities and you see poor people and you kind of, you phase them out mm. because they represent a kind of like threat insofar as you might be made uncomfortable or you might place demands on you, whatever it is. You know, it's like they become part of the backdrop because were they to be part of the foreground, that would that would have to engage you as a human being. But I think as Christians, it's not like we have to pay attention to all 7 billion people in the world or 8 billion people in the world simultaneously, but we have to pay attention to those who matter to us, who are made to matter to us by the Lord, you know, like our family and our friends and close associates and stuff. Um, so that's one. And then the other one is there's this particular scene in which Father Brown is talking with a detective and the detective asks him how he came to the conclusions that he reached. Like, how was he able to solve all of these crimes? And it's this cool moment where it's like late in the evening, they're in the study, they may or may not be smoking cigars, but, you know, it's kind of dusky, smoky, intense. And Father Brown pauses and responds, because I committed all of these crimes. And there's enough of a pause for the fellow detective to be like, sweet Christmas, I'm about to die. Um, <laughs> until such time as Father Brown says, no, I'm made from the same stock. Mm. I've suffered the same fall. I am tempted by the same vices and sins. And as a result of which, I can condole with or I can compassionate, to use some sweet 19th century language, this individual. And so I can enter into the thought world and the hate world that motivated this particular crime. And I think that's something that's really... Yeah, that's also precious as a virtue of the detective become virtue of the reader. We say things sometimes like, but for the grace of God go I. I don't know how often when saying that I actually believe it. It's like, look at this person with a totally different life, but for the grace of God go I. Now let me congratulate myself in this corner. It's like, you know, Gregory, you're just really filling the appropriate word, um, which is not complimentary. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when, you know, when you hear that from Father Brown, here's a guy, you know, like he's really, he suffered the human condition. He suffered in himself, but he's also suffered in those whom he serves and those whom he sleuthed. And I think that's that's cool. It often gives you a new perspective. Detective fiction gives you a new perspective, like you said, on the human condition. So I don't know. Further thoughts, things that you've noticed? Yeah, I think I would say, too, um, you know, the way that the way that detectives are attentive to people, they are to things. And so I would also like to underscore that um, because we're Americans, we're just consumerists, we're just materialists. We have tons of things. We have tons of things. <laughs> we just have tons of things. Um, and we're not careful about what they're for. And oftentimes we lack imagination about how they can be used. And a detective is always trying to find, in particular, right, the weapon that was used to commit a crime uh, in the case of a murder um, or a robbery. You know, how something is done, right, um, explores the universe of things in a different way and reimagines what they're for. And I think we should be doing that as Christians as we move to further simplify our lives and to live, uh, to live more in accordance with, with the simplicity of the gospel. Um, and that requires a constant examination, right? And a, a detective novel trains us to do that by thinking through the things that we have and the things that they're for, what those things are for. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting too, as much as the things that are there are important, so too the things that are not there. Yes, it's like the, the curious, yeah. yeah, the curious incidents of the incident of the dog in the night. It's like Sherlock Holmes is struck by the fact that the dog doesn't bark. Right. Right. So what does that mean? He ought to have barked. Why well, ought to have heard him bark? And I think that um, we can be sensitized to similar things in our own human lives. There are things that are there that we notice or fail to notice, and there are things that aren't there that we ought to notice and maybe perhaps again fail to notice. Uh, and when you think about this in very concrete terms, uh, like we as human beings are all going through our lives with varying degrees of difficulty. Um, and it's basically impossible to compare those difficulties because everyone experiences his or her own difficulty in a pretty personal and intense way. Uh, but like we have to be able to notice what's going well or what's going poorly. We have to be able to notice like, how's this person doing or how's this person not doing, <laughs> not doing yep. you know? And when we fail to notice the, what's present or what's absent, then we just fail to live in genuine communion, right? We're all just kind of head down plowing ahead, tending to our own furrow. But like, you know, somebody like Sherlock Holmes can can make a suggestion to the effect of, no, that that ought to be there, but it's not. Like you used to, I've, I've commented just in coming back to the House of Studies this time, I've said it maybe two or three times, like you look good, like you look happy, right? <laughs> uh, but then by the same token, when you see it in somebody else who's been through a rough spot, mm -hmm. you're like, ah, yeah, my heart breaks for you. And I can explain it insofar as I know you've suffered a loss in your family, or I know this has been a tough semester, or I know you're coming to the end of your dissertation. And you feel like you want to, uh, um, I gave up suicide jokes. So, uh, <laughs> right. So all these things, but that's another, I think another excellence of the, uh, of the detective, which can be imparted to us, the reader. I think that the, the you know, and all of this exists because the, in the detective story, the moral universe is clear, mm -hmm. which is another, which is another reason why they're so refreshing. Yeah, like in a detective story, a bad thing has happened that everyone knows is a bad thing, and part of part of what we can enter into is the pain of those people that have recognized that a bad thing has happened, a great crime or another evil, and the joy is, of course, that the detective solves it and leads us to recognize the the right things, the right side of the universe. And so I think that um, insofar as the moral universe of most fiction, you know, this is true of most works of fiction, but especially detective fiction, insofar as the moral universe is clear, that's heartening to us because there are so many times uh, in the modern world where, where, we're t where we're trying to square the gospel with everything that we're encountering and we're asking questions about the moral universe. Um, but in detective stories, there are good people, there are bad people, there are heroes, there are villains, mm -hmm. and all of that is a balm to the soul. Yeah. No, that's a great that's a great insight because I've noticed that in a lot of conversations recently, the person with whom I am talking will try to introduce notes of nuance and subtlety, which while there may be merits to those notes, they kind of exhaust me because it's like I find people trying to defend everything and I'm like, but there are some things that are bad, you know? Like Satan chose against God and he's damned forever. We don't make judgments as to other individual persons, but we can judge their actions. And some of those actions are bad, like heinous. Um, and so we have to be able to say that clearly or else we're constantly trying to draw out fine shades and like perfect our sophistical moral discernment. Yeah, that's right. And it's just like, no, but like some things are good and some things are bad. Mind you, I think part of this is because of the European context because it feels like everyone's trying to defend everything except for the things that I love. <laughs> like the church yeah <laughs> sweet christmas yeah and it's just like they they're like you're an american you're super enthusiastic mm -hmm. you're also hyper polarized in your political discourse so get out of here and i'm like yeah yeah okay all right 
cheers. Um, maybe the polarization isn't the best possible thing. But I also think that there are things worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. And while a culture war, you know, conducted for however many decades might seem exhausting for those who participate it and kind of disedifying for those who observe it from the outside, yet like there are big ticket items at stake, right. you know? Yeah. Like and and we can build beyond them, right? Yeah. If you're if you're missing, for example, the bottom premise, which is that it's always wrong to take an innocent human life. I, then I don't really know where else you can move in the moral sphere. Yeah. Like it's, it seems to me that that is, that is an important and obvious natural moral principle. Uh, and once you, once you get one or two, one or two of those things in, you can begin building beyond it. And a detective story helps with that often because there's a murder, there's been an unjust taking of a life and you can move beyond that to, to something else. Yeah. 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 Even though it seems like in a lot of 19th and early 20th century British novels, the detective always affords the criminal the option of taking his or her own life. It's just like, <laughs> holy, do all of these things end in like resolutory suicides? Like, sweet Christmas, you guys are crazy. Um, okay, uh, so maybe then just for our final segment, we can talk a little bit about recreation, the enjoyment piece, mm. because we, we alluded to it. Sometimes we put pressure on ourselves to do the utmost for his highest, quoting Oswald Chambers, nice. um, we to like optimize or maximize are the words that I often use. And we feel like there's so many excellent works of literature out there. You know, if we're talking about the novel, you know, since whatever, Don Quixote or since the Canterbury Tales, depending on when you think it starts, contested point uh, for a future episode. No. Um, <laughs> well, then, then there are all these novels that we have to read, that we have to master. There's this intelligible universe out there that needs to be dominated. So I need to make a list and make my way through. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like life is, it's for living. Okay. It's for living. So let's talk about, yeah, your thoughts about the enjoyment. Yeah. So I felt the same pressure in my life with my screensaver or my desktop background rather, you know, because you, because you walk around and you see different friars have like beautiful masterpiece of, you know, masterpieces of art as their desktop background. And you think like, wow, I should have something very sophisticated and that I've thoroughly researched and that I found, or I could just like have a picture of my niece with a puppy. (laughs) (laughs) And it turns out that that is glorious. You know, my my niece holding my mom's dog, like that's a that's a great that's a great uh, desktop background. And so I think something something similar is at work um, in in fiction. Uh, we have to have things that that we enjoy because we enjoy them. Uh, we have to have things that give delight um, because they're familiar to us. We have to have things that restore us because of the way that they they catch our eye. And so I do think I do think there's a kind of um, there's an there's an important moment of relativity here that someone can say I like this novel, uh, or I don't like this novel, mm-hmm. and it's not actually a moral judgment on on the reader. Um, yeah. So I so th- th- those are a few things that I wanted to that I wanted to bring in. So um, you can choose to like things just because you like them, and that's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can choose to like something just because it's familiar to you. Mm-hmm. You know you can re- you can reread the same book. Uh, how many times have I read Mere Christianity? I don't know, probably 12, 13, wow. 15. You know, you, you can choose to just tear through something because you enjoy it. Um, and then you can you can enjoy something um, because it's because it's easier, because it puts your heart at rest more, um, because it's something more like a picture of your niece and a puppy <laughs> than it is, you know, the Sistine Chapel's Last Judgment. Yeah, and I think, so there are different goods on offer in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not responsible for putting them into a straightforward order insofar as whatever you get it. Um, but like on the bottom is what would be on the bottom. Um, like watching Marvel movies. Maybe that's too severe of a judgment. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, that, listen, how many times have you condemned Marvel on the podcast? Didn't you swear off Marvel? I, I, I haven't seen one in a while, but that's I just have some anger at the industry. Okay, below that is a Disney Pixar movie. Just kidding, no. Um, right, so there there are certain forms of like passive consumption, which mm. are like just eating fistfuls of candy, and then we feel kind of sick afterwards, and right. we're embarrassed, right? Like, right. so binge-watching a dubious television show, okay? Without even speaking to the moral quality of the content. Just the fact that it's, it's not especially good, and we're just doing it because it feels fine. All right, so there's there. But, you know, you can go up and down that scale. Uh, I suppose I said that that was the basement, so maybe you can't go down. Well, you can't go down. Uh, but you can go up that scale, and there are different goods in this hierarchy of goods. Now... Detective fiction is probably not the most exalted good. I know for a fact that it's not the most exalted good because it's not the beatific vision. Uh, and yet we don't have to apologize for the fact that it's not higher. And I think this is part of the prudence piece, which I snuck in there. Um, but that's like our job as human beings. Gosh, that sounds so crass. Our vocation as human beings, our high calling as human beings is to engage with good things. Right? It's to delight in the goodness that God has put at our disposal so that we can render it unto his glory and use it for our salvation. And that's awesome, right? But there are a variety of good things. And we as human beings are born in a particular time and a particular place in these circumstances. And we have genuine liberty, right? It's not just a matter of like, all right, let's find the script which shows what are the best goods for me here and now. And then I'll just do them all as if by rote. It's like, no, you're like a genuine artist, as it were, or a con creator. And so detective fiction is part of that story. It's like you can, you can read a good thing because it's a good thing. And you don't have to worry that it's not a better thing because it's good to read a book that just reads itself every once in a while, to experience the delight of a page turner rather than slogging through book 17 of whatever designated time period. Um, so I think that, yeah, just kind of reacquainting ourselves with the delight of reading if we've lost touch with it can also just be a great, great good. I don't know if you've had the experience of that recently, a particular book that's that's read you more than you've read it, or mm. pages that have turned themselves mm. rather than you having to dedicate yourself to the task. <laughs> I think I'm talking myself into finding another detective book, actually. Nice. <laughs> Man, these episodes are so effective. You notice you notice what isn't there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, um, maybe then in our final thoughts, uh, for, for our final thoughts as we wrap up here, uh, just, I don't know, cool little, what do you call that when you identify a little thing? Gospel passage, it's called a pericope. Mm. Cool little uh, cameos, cool little instances of detective fiction, things that you've loved, or particular stories that you found especially delightful. Yeah, what would be great? I mean, we, we so we mentioned them. I mean, if you haven't checked out the Father Brown mysteries, despite me kind of raining on them <laughs> a little bit, they, they are they are very charming. Um, Agatha Christie, we mentioned. We mentioned the classics, Sherlock Holmes, uh, by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, yeah, I would I would encourage all of those. We mentioned Dorothy Sayers. Uh, Definitely, definitely read her. Um, good friend of C.S. Lewis and the others. I don't know. One other little insight. I don't. Ha I don't have like an icon to put out. Um, yeah, yeah. But but uh, other than to once again make the argument that it is the kind of thing that's worth doing, the kind of thing that's worth reading, the kind of thing to have at the ready. You know. So so I I think that the best thing is to take time to choose one, to have the book. You know, by the chair, to have the whole scene set so that you're ready to cuddle into it, and. Uh, to not be ashamed of that or hesitate about it. Yeah. Um, as for me and my house, I have, I've been listening to them. Like I said, I usually go hiking on Saturdays. And so I've been listening to them in the Swiss Alps, mm. which is on the one hand, an unfitting setting for them, but on the other hand, a very fitting setting for them. So like, for instance, when um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle got tired of Sherlock Holmes and wanted him dead, he staged the Reichenbach Falls incident 
And Reichenbach Falls is like 45 minutes from where I live. So nice. uh, yeah, I've got like a sweet little setting in which to appreciate the things as they unfold. And, and I guess 19th century and early 20th century Brits really love Switzerland for winter sports or for adventure sports in general. I mean, dignified adventure sports. They would never do anything too adventurous that might yes, of confuse them for an American. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you can't wear a suit while you're doing it, it's <laughs> unfitting for an Englishman. Exactly. And smoke a pipe. Um, yeah, but I'll, I'll be like reading these things and as the daylight fails and I'm like trundling back to my uh, to my car with a headlamp on, there's there's like one person left, you know. I read it and then there were none at one point and I was terrifying myself because... <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be it. I'm like coming out no of... No more Father Gregory. Yeah, exactly. I'm coming out of an avalanche risk zone and the light is failing and I'm not sure how long my battery life is on my headlamp and just people are dying left and right. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, so detective yep, fiction that's great. is great. It is wonderful. Occasionally, you know, we'll bop in for a uh, an Anna Karenina or maybe some other kind of cool British thing like Anthony Trollope. But yeah, they're just so wonderful. And I think that to experience that delight is a foretaste of higher delights, greater delights, but, you know, delights of a piece. So yeah, with that, we have come to the end of our time. So thanks again to all of our supporters. If you'd like to tithe to our work, please check us out at patreon.com slash godsplaining. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I think we have a TikTok account now. I don't know what that means, but it means something, and maybe that is of interest to you. Uh, please do like the episode on your podcast app or on YouTube. Subscribe on the same and leave a five-star review. And then if you check out the show notes or the episode description, you'll find links there to shop Godsplaining merchandise at our store. And also, you'll see more about events. So we've recently announced our all-comers retreat, which is taking place in the middle of June. So June 16th through 18th at Malvern Retreat House, just outside of Philadelphia. And now uh, we've been just starting to announce our men's retreat, which will take place uh, in August. So I think it's August 10th through 13th in Brevard, North Carolina at Camp Catalea Chasatanga. So the same place that we had it last year. So run it back as the youths like to say. So we hope to see you at one of those retreats and you'll hear more about our young adult retreat uh, in details forthcoming. And seeing as this is the longest outro that we have ever done, Father Patrick is plenty sated. So know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us and we'll look forward to chatting with you next time on God's Planet.